Can we turn to Psalm 16, please? While you do that, if you've got on your phone, on your Bible, on your app, uh, whatever it is, I hate sad movies. Who hates sad movies? So you guys, some of you like it. Who likes sad movies? Okay, let's. So okay, become a pastor and then you'll hate sad movies. I can tell you that because life can get you down, and there's no point in watching something else that is going to get you even more down. Uh, who has watched The Pursuit of Happiness? I may have used this before as an illustration. It's the worst movie. Okay. It's The Pursuit of Sadness. There was nothing happy. People must not mislead you in their titles because there's... there's and so often we look at some of the Psalms and um, David doesn't bring much hope. You kind of get to the end of the Psalm and you're like, cool. But then there's Psalms. The, the Psalm we're looking at today, is, it's called the Miktam. They don't actually know the meaning of it, but they say every, every Miktam, I think there's about six or seven, they all end on a high note, which is great. We're not gonna, I'm not going to leave you at the end and you're like, oh, that was just the pursuit of sadness. It wasn't that great. We actually won't, we won't end on a happy note. And can I say that that is what the gospel is? The gospel will always end on a happy note. You may go through trials. God will give you grace in your trials. Sometimes you won't feel like you're having grace. Just keep pushing into Him. His, His grace is sufficient for you. It will sustain you. It will hold you. It will keep you in a place of peace. Even, and honestly, I've, I've had moments where I'm like, God, I, I'm crying out that scripture. God, your grace is sufficient for me, and I don't actually feel it. Just keep doing it. Keep pushing into the Father. At the end of it all is good news. At the end of it all, we are going to be in our resurrected bodies, new heaven, new earth. We're going to be dwelling with God. There's going to be no sickness, no pain, all the stuff that we struggle with. And you go through tough moments and losing jobs and having tough moments in our lives. It's all going to end. That is the hope of Christianity. That right now, it may suck but into eternity, it's going to get better. And it starts now. And the amazing thing is that God, even in, even in the, a, a moment of, of, of being in a, a trial and being in, like you're being battered backwards and forwards, God can still give you peace and you can still sleep. There's an incredible thing I was reading through Acts recently. Peter's a bat. He's been trained to guards on either side and he's sleeping. What an incredible thing. If I was trained to guards in a jail... I would be stressing. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd be like, what if one of these guys hurt me in the night? What if they're going to kill me? Whatever it is, I wouldn't have a wink of sleep. And he was sleeping because he knew God had prophesied how he would die. And he knew that ultimately there's going to be good. Can we say this together? It's all going to be okay. With conviction. It's all going to be okay. Stala's brother... um, who Stala basically brought up. But I remember when he first started visiting us here, I've been here almost 11 years, October 11 years. And uh, when he first started visiting us, he used to talk about his parents and he used to say, my mom and my dad, to Stala. I don't know if some of you have younger siblings or maybe like the, a later sibling and they came later. It's like, they've just, these are my parents, they're not actually your parents. Meanwhile, obviously that's Stala and Bianca, the other two sisters. And uh, it, it's just there's this sense of affection. And I, this is almost what the psalm is about. David, it says that he uses the word my, uh, my over 12 times throughout the psalm. And it's a psalm of affection. And it's, it's a psalm of saying, God, you are my God. 
And I think we have to get to a place as followers of Jesus where we are not relying on other people's revelation of God, but our own revelation of God. And can I tell you that most of that happens when you go through a place of pain? That's, I don't know why, but when you're going through tough moments and you're dealing with stuff, God is close. And he's teaching you who he is. And he's teaching you that he is faithful even though you want to to give up. And he is good even though you just want to throw the towel in. God is faithful. He is good. And we've traveled around the world and just going to different contexts. And you sometimes go to different contexts and they want the pastor to pray for you. And that's great. And I believe in laying on of hands. And I believe praying for one another. And I believe in all of that stuff. But we need to get to a place where God is my God. And he's personal to me. And I can run to him. And I can find safety in him. And I can find goodness in him. And I can find love. I can find peace. I can find these things that I'm so desperate for. That our souls are so desperate for. If you don't know Jesus, the thing that you are missing in your soul is Jesus Christ. Psalm 16. Before we even get further into that. That's just my introduction. Okay. It says, Keep me safe, O God, for I've come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Um, I will will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me, even at night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. What an incredible promise. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow my Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. We end on a good note there. So I've split it into four different parts, and uh, my wife did help me with this. It's great to give credit where credit's due. Um, There we go. I'm going to... Number one, if you're taking notes, looking above, it should be behind me. And, and uh, in the Passion Translation, I'll read that later. But it says, I come to you for refuge. And in the Old Testament, there used to be cities of refuge, which people used to run to if there was like blood money and all that kind of thing. But so David might have had some of that in his mind, but he, he understood. And I was going to speak about this last week, but a city of refuge was a hill, was a, it was a city that was on top of a hill. Who's, who's been to the Holy Land? To the Holy, Holy Land. I can't say much more than that. You know what I mean? Um, and the, the, the city of Jerusalem is on a hill. It's sitting on a hill. There's, there's a place called Masada. Am I saying it right? Masada. So, yes, like that. And um, that, is, that is built by King Herod, if I'm not mistaken. There's people who know a lot about history that, I, that I'm just checking with. And um, that, that was built in such a way that it was on this incredible, the top of the mountain where you could see the, the enemies come from all around. And it was this place of refuge. And David's, David says, I come to you for refuge. And my question to you is that who do you run to when there's times of trouble? Do you run to Netflix to get your mind off the thing that you actually have to face? Do you run to alcohol? 
I'm an expat, don't touch my alcohol, it's mine. We, I believe in, in freedom around that stuff, but don't use it and don't get addicted to it in the place of Jesus Christ. Don't use that as a way to kind of, to, to, to find peace when you've had a rough day. Ah, I have to have three shots of whiskey before I go to bed, otherwise it's just not going to happen, I'm not going to sleep. Jesus will give you greater peace than any alcohol, any, any drug, any, any extra substance. And now, if you're walking through stuff, that's fine. Just keep walking, keep walking towards Jesus. But Jesus is the only one that's going to bring you ultimate peace. Where do you run to? Do you run to money? Do you rely on yourself? Or do we throw ourselves into him? And so often, God will take some of the scaffolding and the things that we so relied on in the past out of our lives so we can start relying on Him. So we can start relying fully on Him. So when, when we have times of trouble, we don't run to an addiction. We run to Jesus who can set you free. Jesus, the King of all kings, can set you free 100%. It's amazing how David starts this and he establishes, and it's, what, it's even when Jesus was talking about the Lord's Prayer, Clint. Let's just give him a cheer. Go for it, Clint. He was trying to be quiet, but it was like, clink, clink. Anyway. <laughs> Could you not have gone before, bro? Yeah. In the Passion Translation, it says this, Keep me safe, Almighty God. I run for dear life to my safe place. So I said to the Lord, You are my maker, my mediator, and my master. Any good thing you find in me comes from you. I love that translation. I don't know who wrote the Passion Translation, but he goes really into the, the, the Hebrew and uh, the, the Septuagint, and he, and he looks at what, it's, what is originally written there in, in Aramaic, and he starts to dig it apart, and, he, and it's almost like the message, but it expands it a little more than that. And, it says, and it, he says, my maker, my mediator, and my master. What do we run to when times are tough? We run to the character of who God is. Number one, God is a maker. He made heaven and earth. And, uh, and this... Honestly, I've had times of serious doubt through my Christian walk, not of God, but just how this all came to be. And whatever your belief around that, base it in Scripture, but the point is this, Jesus, God, made everything. He was there before time began. He created, it's amazing in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God, so we can almost put a full stop there, He created, full stop, the heavens first, and then the earth. So there's some, there's God, there's, there's this cosmos that God has created, this, the stuff we don't see, there's the heavenly realm that God has created that is just as real as the earthly realm. And Jesus' mission was to come and say, I'm going to bring heaven and earth together. He says, and when you pray, pray for the kingdom to come. Pray that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth would, would, would collide. And that's what I believe what happens on church on a Friday. In our lives as, as we followers of Jesus, we, coll- we are the ones that bring heaven to earth. And we, we cause a colliding. The maker, Elohim, the creator God, omnipotent and all-powerful. And it's amazing how David, and I've said this probably four weeks in a row, but he has a large view of God. And if we want to start to understand and how, how we can read the Psalms better and understand the Psalms better is that it starts with a big God. Bigger than we can ever imagine, dream, think, out of your box of what you may have put him inside. He is our mediator. We started watching a, a show recently about uh, lawyers and stuff, and it's quite cool. And, um, 
And it's amazing how the lawyer comes in and mediates on the one party towards the other, and then there's a judge, and, and Jesus is called our mediator. I'm going to read a scripture out of the Amplified, Hebrews 9.11. For this reason, he is the mediator and the negotiator of the new covenant that is entirely a new agreement uniting God and man. So that those who have been called by God may receive the fulfillment of the promise of eternal inheritance, uh, since a death has taken place as a payment, which is Jesus, which redeems them from the sins committed under the obsolete first covenant. So it's, it's saying that, there's, that Jesus is the mediator between God, the judge, and us. And he died on the cross for us. And what, see, the, 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 we have to have this picture of God that he is a good, loving father, but he's also all-powerful. And he's a, he's a God that is full of justice. And, he, and, and by who, his very nature of who he is, he has to punish sin because he cannot look upon sin. And that is the good news of the gospel. His only son, the only thing that ever cost him, he came and stood in our place. So when God looks at us and we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he looks at us and he sees Jesus. He sees the sinlessness of Jesus. And that's why we can never add to our salvation. It's, it's completely on Jesus, and all we have to do is fully believe in Him. And we are credited with righteousness. I've had a few times in my life, two times in particular, when I've been credited with a lot of money that I did not deserve, or a car that I did not deserve. That is incredible. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he credited our, our accounts with His righteousness, His goodness, His sinlessness. And when he looks upon us, even though we, that's who, who we look upon and we do sin and we mess up, we're almost like we're catching up for what, what he's already done for us and what heaven's already won for us through Jesus Christ. And it says, our maker, our mediator, and our master. And I think we don't like that language in an independent um, millennial world where every, everyone has their say and everyone has their rights to everything. And we actually, when we give our lives to Jesus, we give over our rights. We give it to him. We say, Lord, would you become Lord of my life? Would you become master of my life? And when you look at baptism, it's the dying of your old self and it's arising again to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And that's why I believe that some of the most the purest church or the, the, the look of the purest church that we can see is when a church is persecuted. The Chinese church, persecuted. Because if they, if they follow Jesus, they're basically saying, listen, at any moment the government can come and kill me, arrest me, take my family away, stop my job, make it very difficult for me, but I'm going to follow Jesus 100%. I'm part of a new kingdom. I'm in the light. I'm no longer part of the kingdom of darkness. And I think we cannot uh, blur the lines anymore. There's a time coming where God is going to bring His, His, His judgment on the earth. And, we, and He's going to look at one thing. Are we in Christ or are we not? And I want to say this morning, you have, you have a decision this morning to follow Him. If you have never, and you maybe have grown up in church, and you're like, oh, it's a great idea, and I like church, and it's a cool vibe, and the, the, the pastor's just amazing on the electric guitar, and he just killed it this morning, and, um, and all of that stuff, and you just go home. And if you've left with only that, I've done you a disservice. We need Jesus Christ. We need Him in our lives. And I've had such a revelation of this lately that I cannot do anything without Jesus. I am a sinful human being. I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but I keep my eyes on Him. And even when it's tough, and even when there's doubts, and even when you feel like you've been disappointed, and even when you've had tough moments, God is faithful, and God is good. And that is the good, the end of the story. 
Everything good comes in our lives comes from God. The second thing is looking around. The godly people in the land, my true heroes, I take pleasure in them. Some other versions say, as for the saints in the land, they are my glorious ones in whom is all my delight. I actually prefer that version. I don't know why I didn't put it down. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. And it's amazing that it says the godly or the saints. And that's not a pious thing. A saint is not someone who's done five miracles and was, was really good and then kind of was awarded a thing and then you wear a necklace around, around your neck and you think you're protected and all that stuff. We are saints, you and me. And we're not saints by our own effort. We're saints through what Jesus Christ has done for us in our place. He defeated the enemy. He defeated sin. He took back the keys of death and Hades. The thing that we deserved, he took it and he died in our place. And it's split history in two. And you can go read history books outside of the Bible that speak so clearly about a moment where God came and absolutely everything changed. God came to earth in the, in the form of man, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us in our place. We, are, we, are, like we sing that song today, I fix my eyes upon the cross. That's all we can do. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's amazing how Paul, he writes one or two Corinthians, and, he, and, he, and he, he starts by calling them saints. And these people were far from saints. I mean, aunts, fathers were sleeping with, no, what is it? They were, they were dodgy. Okay, just go read it. I, it was, I was going to write it down. But they, they, were, they were bad dudes. But he, he starts addressing them as, as saints because God has actually redeemed them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and into the son he loves. Looking around you, the saints in the land. Ephesians 3.10, it says, His intent was that now through the church, you and me, the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. So the stuff we don't see, which clearly does control a lot of what's happening on the earth, is that through the church, we express the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities. The plan of the church is massive. It's not just a Friday meeting. It's to redeem the world. Jesus did it. We're carrying on his, his redemption plan. We, we preach his gospel. We live out the gospel. We, we work hard. We work well. We become artists. We, we change society. We show what heaven looks like on earth. That is our call. That is, our, that is the meaning that should drive us into everything. We are the salt and the light. And I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, we are the salt that brings out the God flavors of the earth. We are there to show what creation is. We're there to show, and that's why I love this whole expression of art that's beginning to start happening a lot through the church the past 15 years, where there's just a realization that the church used to be on the forefront of art. We, we took a step back, but it's starting to happen again. With the, with the church of the artists, the architects, the musicians, and they're stepping forward and they're making a difference in society. Assault preserves. Uh, who's ever been to Spain? Uh, they're doing that Iberico ham amazing. Uh, we can just pause for five minutes and think about that. Uh, but it's, it's just incredible, like thinly sliced and whatever, and amazing melts on your tongue. But it's preserved in salt. There's, there's, there's something of preservation. And salt, we, we are called, when it means salt, we, we're called to preserve the truth in society. And the scary thing, what's happening in the church today is that there's a liberal agenda that's starting, and it's, it's almost if you don't accept certain things and you don't accept certain ways of doing things, that you actually begin to be persecuted. And we, need, we cannot 
we cannot uh, back away from truth. It's the, the, I think Paul writes to Timothy and says the church is, is, the, is the, the, the buttress, ah, fortress and, and the pillar of truth. That's it. It is going to come to me. Uh, the, the pillar and buttress of truth. We're the ones that bring truth into society. If there's a church in a city, there's hope for that city. If there's believers in a city, if there's called out ones in the city, there's hope for that city. We're the one. And if the church starts drifting away from the truth of this, and we start to negotiate around heaven, hell, sexuality, we are going to find ourselves in 20 years' time to where a church that is watered down has no truth, and we may as well just be a club. So I want to encourage all of you, Pick up your Bible. Some people come say, oh, when are we going to do a Bible study course? Yeah, this is how you do a Bible study course. You open the Bible, you read it. You go get, a, you go get an ESV study Bible or an NIV study Bible and start learning. Start getting the Word inside of you because you can't rely on other people's revelation. You have to rely on the truth that hits your heart. And often this, this, is, this is not of this world, so it's, it changes you because it's, it, it's, it's opposite for the, of your desires. And we have to submit and come under the authority of God's truth. And his word. Who you're surrounding yourself with? The saints in the land. Stalas' dad always used to say, show me your friends and I'll prophesy your future. Who, where are, who are the friends you're hanging out with on the weekends? Are they, are, they, are they pushing you towards the kingdom of God? Are they pushing you towards your call? Are they pushing you towards your destiny? Or are they dragging you away from it? And I think time is too short to mess around with stuff. God is a destiny call and inheritance on all of our lives. It says those who run after other gods have multi- multiple problems. Multiple gods, multiple problems. Fame, sex, uh, money, uh, success. All these things that we run after is, is actually our modern day idols. And we, if we run after them, we're going to become looking like them. They're going to actually end up crippling us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Number three, look within. The Lord, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And in the old days there, when Joshua used to go do, do the boundary lines for the people of Israel, they used to go take rope and they, they, would, they would mark out a territory that, that, was, that was for a certain tribe or, or people group. And, um, and who's, remember that movie Far and Away, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, 92. Some of you weren't born uh, anyone seen that movie? Just, yeah, okay. A few of you. Go watch it. I don't know if it's good or not. I remember watching it. My mom used to cover my eyes in a few parts. Um, but um, there, was a, there was a scene that I clearly remember when Tom Cruise was running, and it was, it was around the land claims that is in Oklahoma, and he was running forward, and he, would, and he ran forward, and he put his stake in the ground, and he staked his claim for his piece of land. And I, the picture I have is that God has an inheritance for all of us, and he's won it for us. And all we need to do is walk into it. And we walk into it through obedience. We walk into it through listening to Him and not our own desires. We walk into it when we have people around you who want to encourage you into the, into the kingdom of God. We walk into it when we understand that we come under the authority of a local church and we, and we walk to, to a greater destiny together. We married a couple uh, two, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, Chanel and Jean. And I just prophesied on this and do not think small for your lives. Can we not think small for our lives? Can we not think that our, that our ultimate goal is to, is to have retirement? So we work 40 years of our life to enjoy the last 10. That's, we, God has big and great things for you guys. 
I want you to realize that every single person is not a select few that gets that. It's, we all have an inheritance. We all have a, a delightful inheritance. We all have a piece of land that God has staked out for us, and we have to just run after it. Dubai has become my boundary line, and I love it. I love the city, even in the heat, even though I'm sweating now, and some of you are as well. There's, there's something special about being in this land. I feel God even today wants to settle hearts. And those of you who, when you move up to Dubai, you know the first year is not fun. It takes a year to adjust. I loved it immediately. But in general, it takes, it takes a year to adjust to that place. And I, like, just, just let God mold your heart and say, actually, there's something else that he wants to do in and through you. He doesn't want you to just earn money so you can pay off a house back home. There's, there's something way bigger that he has for all of you. Boundary lines. Sean Foyt, who's actually going to be with us in December again, which is amazing, at our Christmas meeting. And uh, he, he, he's American. He's got three kids, all little, little blondies. And uh, they, they, I know in America I've heard, Danae, that Christmas is massive. It's like the biggest deal. Uh, Bruce says, Danae starts listening to Christmas music at the end of October. Um, it, is, it is. It's a massive thing in America. So you have Sean Foyt where he could just stay with his family. He's a worship leader, for those of you who don't know. He's part of the Bethel worship team. And, but he does a lot of missions across the world. And he, what he's doing over the Christmas period is he's taking his whole family to Iraq. And he's going to start giving. They're trying to raise $100,000 to give away stuff to the refugees who are the worst, who have been treated the worst in society. And that's his boundary lines. And can I say, God is, God is not interested in your comfort. He'll comfort you in times of trouble, yes, but He's not interested in your comfort. And you having a nice big villa and a great retirement, and it's good to be wise and safe for all of those things, and I get all of that. Be wise. But do not do it at the expense of the calling that God has placed on your life. Because one day we're going to get to God, and we're going to say, God's going to go, what did you do with, what, with my son and what I gave you? Well, I earned a lot of money. Well, God says, you can't take that to heaven. Uh, well, I left a little bit of money for my family. Well, cool, we can't take that to heaven. Um, I got a great house. I got a speedboat. I got all of these things. What we can take to heaven is stuff that we've done in faith in the kingdom of God on this planet. It starts now. And then finally, and then I'm ending. Let's look beyond. No wonder my heart is, is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or you allow your holy one to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure, the pleasures of living with you forever. It's amazing that David wrote this, and they eventually found David's tomb. He was a dead man. He died. He fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. Jesus died, but then was resurrected. The tomb is empty. And this is, this is called a Messianic Psalm, which is, it speaks about Jesus Christ. And it speaks about how Jesus won the victory over sin. The, the prophets then were looking forward to a time when someone would come and stand in their place, go fight on behalf of them, and they would live in the joy of their presence and the, ple the pleasures of living with you forever. Psalm 49, and I'm ending on this. God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. Let's just pray together.